Hello, I'm Wilson Pruitt, and you are listening to the History of Methodism podcast. Today's episode, What is an Armenian? In the conferences of 1770, a contentious debate took place over Calvinism within the Methodist societies. John Wesley felt that the issue was not fully concluded at the conference itself, so he wrote and published the small pamphlet titled, The Question, What is an Armenian? Answered by a Lover of Free Grace. What follows in this episode is an extant reading of that pamphlet so that we can understand Wesley's position more exactly. Some allusion is made in the pamphlet to the Synod of Dort, which I mentioned in episode 6, but which will not be fully addressed in this podcast until a few episodes from now. So I will say something briefly about that council now. The Synod of Dort took place in 1618 and resulted in the banishment of followers of Arminius from the Netherlands. Dort has been summarized by the acronym TULIP, T, total depravity, U, unconditional election, L, limited atonement, I, irresistible grace, and P, the perseverance of the saints. It is these doctrinal claims to which Wesley responds with the following tract. To say this man is an Armenian has the same effect on many hearers as to say, this is a mad dog. It puts them into a fright at once. They run away from him with all speed and diligence and will hardly stop unless it be to throw a stone at the dreadful and mischievous animal. The more unintelligible the word is, the better it answers the purpose. Those on whom it is fixed know not what to do, not understanding what it means. They cannot tell what defense to make or how to clear themselves from the charge. And it is not easy to remove the prejudice which others have imbibed who know no more of it than that it is something very bad, if not all that is bad. To clear the meaning, therefore, of this ambiguous term may be of use to many. To those who so freely pin this name upon others that they may not say what they do not understand. To those that hear them that they may be no longer abused by men saying they know not what. And to those upon whom the name is fixed that they may know how to answer for themselves. It may be necessary to observe first that many confuse Armenians with Aryans. But this is entirely a different thing. The one has no resemblance to the other. An Aryan is one who denies the Godhead of Christ. We scarce need say the supreme eternal Godhead, because there can be no God but the supreme eternal God unless we will make two gods, a great God and a little one. Now none have ever firmly believed or more strongly asserted the Godhead of Christ than many of the so-called Armenians have done. Yes, and do at this day. Armenianism, therefore, whatever it be, is totally different from Arianism. The rise of the word was this. James Harmons, in Latin, Jacobus Arminius, was first one of the ministers of Amsterdam and afterwards professor of divinity at Leiden. He was educated at Geneva, but in the year 1591 began to doubt of the principles which he had till then received 
and being more and more convinced that they were wrong. When he was vested with a professorship, he publicly taught what he believed the truth. Till in the year 1609 he died in peace. But a few years after his death, some zealous men, with the Prince of Orange at their head, furiously assaulted all that held what were called his opinions, and having procured them to be solemnly condemned in the famous Synod of Dort, not so numerous or learned, but full as impartial as the Councillor Synod of Trent, some were put to death, some banished, some imprisoned for life, all turned out of their employments and made incapable of holding any office, either in church or state. The errors charged upon these, usually termed Armenians, by their opponents are five. One, that they deny original sin. Two, that they deny justification by faith. Three, that they deny absolute predestination. Four, that they deny the grace of God to be irresistible. And five, that they affirm a believer may fall from grace. With regard to the first two of these charges, they plead not guilty. They are entirely false. No man that ever lived, not John Calvin himself, ever asserted either original sin or justification by faith in more strong, more clear, and expressed terms than Arminius has done. These two points, therefore, are to be set out of the question. In these, both parties agree. In this respect, there is not a hair's breadth difference between Mr. Wesley and Mr. Whitfield. But there is an undeniable difference between the Calvinists and Armenians with regard to the three other questions. Here they divide the former, believe absolute, the latter only conditional, predestination. The Calvinists hold one, God has absolutely decreed from all eternity to save such and such persons, and no others, and that Christ died for these and none else. The Armenians hold, God has decreed from all eternity, touching all that has the written word, he that believeth shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be condemned. And in order to do this, Christ died for all, all that were dead in trespasses and sins, that is, for every child of Adam, since in Adam all died. The Calvinists hold, secondly, that the saving grace of God is absolutely irresistible, that no man is any more able to resist it than to resist the stroke of lightning. The Armenians hold that although there may be some moments wherein the grace of God acts irresistibly, yet, in general, any man may resist, and that to his eternal ruin, the grace whereby it was the will of God, he should have been eternally saved. The Calvinists hold, thirdly, that a true believer in Christ cannot possibly fall from grace. The Armenians hold that a true believer may make shipwreck of faith and a good conscience, that he may fall not only foully but finally so as to perish forever. Indeed, the two latter points, irresistible grace and infallible perseverance, are the natural consequence of the former, of the unconditional decree. For if God has eternally and absolutely decreed to save such and such persons, it follows both that they cannot resist a saving grace, else they might miss of salvation, and that they cannot finally fall from that grace which they cannot resist. So that, in effect, the three questions come into one. Is predestination absolute or conditional? 
The Armenians believe it is conditional. The Calvinists that it is absolute. Away then with all ambiguity, away with all expressions which only puzzle the cause. Let honest men speak out and not play with hard words which they do not understand. And how can any man know what Arminius held who has never read one word of his writings? Let no man bawl against Armenians till he knows what the term means, and then he will know that Armenians and Calvinists are just upon a level, and Armenians have as much right to be angry at Calvinists as Calvinists have to be angry at Arminius. John Calvin was a pious, learned, sensible man, and so was James Arminius. Many Calvinists are pious, learned, sensible men, and so are many Arminians. Only the former hold absolute predestination, the latter conditional. One more word. It is not the duty of every Armenian preacher, first, never in public or in private, to use the word Calvinist as a term of reproach, seeing it is neither better nor worse than calling names. A practice, no more consistent with good sense or good manners, than it is with Christianity. Secondly, to do all that in him lies to prevent his hearers from doing it by showing them the sin and folly of it. And is it not equally the duty of every Calvinist preacher, first, never in public or in private, in preaching or in conversation, to use the word Armenian as a term of reproach? Secondly, to do all that in him lies to prevent his hearers from doing it by showing them the sin and folly thereof, and that the more earnestly and diligently, if they have been accustomed so to do it, perhaps encouraged therein by his own example. We will return in future episodes to the remonstrant controversy after the death of Arminius and to the Synod of Dort. Yet we must return back to Britain. Life in Britain has not been static. And so we will look at some of the changes that have taken place in the transition from the reign of Elizabeth to her nephew, James Stuart next time on the History of Methodism.